0: Greetings, you're listening to the 61st episode of the ABF Journal podcast. I'm Phil Neifer, Managing Editor of ABF Journal. In this episode, we go across the pond to look at the asset-based lending industry in the United Kingdom. To get our bearings, John Hughes, Senior Commercial Director at Independent Growth Finance, gives us an overview of the history and current state of the industry in the area, and how IGF uses a specialist approach to capitalize on opportunities in this market. Let's get to the call. Hey, John, how are you doing
1: today? Hi, Phil, I'm doing well, thank you. And and pleased to be with you.
0: Yeah, great, it's great to have you on. Uh, For those who may not know you or your background, can you you share some information about yourself?
1: Sure, I'd like to. So I'm John Hughes, I'm a Director of Independent Growth Finance. And I would say that I'm a co-founder of IGF's Second Phase. uh, And I now lead the commercial activity for our business in London, the Southeast of the UK. And as I'm starting to see former colleagues and peers of mine retiring, I guess that I'm becoming an industry veteran or old, as you may call it. Uh, I've worked in the invoice finance and ABL sector since the mid-90s. Initially, I was with um, a business that was bought by Bank of New York, uh, and then I moved to um, the UK arm of Heller Financial, Uh, and that business was really formative to me in my career and and. Uh, it's where I became aware of uh, life beyond just AR, uh, and it's where I got to meet my now um, colleague and CEO, uh, John Onslow, uh, with whom 20, 20 years later, I would um, uh, establish uh, IGF as an A- ABL player. Um, so j- just going on the, the background, uh, he- Heller was bought by GE Capital in, in, in 2002, it was slightly later in the UK than it had been in the States and I stayed with the, the GE business until 2012. And, and my involvement in cross-border activities and specifically your, was in transatlantic uh, transactions goes back to the hell of days. And, and it culminated uh, in, in the opportunity to work for two years uh, attached to the GE corporate lending business in Connecticut in a role that was really um, driven by our interest from the UK in finding opportunities in the existing GE network, in the, in the portfolio of the GE uh, network in the Americas, that, that we may be able to work with uh, this side of the Atlantic. Um, Timing-wise, perhaps not the best. Uh, unfortunately, that project uh, coincided with the start of the financial crash. And uh, uh, I came back to the UK in 2008, very well aware of what was, what was coming our way uh, in the UK, it was certainly uh, ahead of us in the states, uh, and uh, it was pain- painfully uh, unaware in the in the UK. Uh, I stayed with G for a few more years after that. And we got through it, um, uh, as, as you know. Um, but I took the opportunity 2012 to join RBS, who had equally been heavily hit by uh, the financial crisis, probably heavier than anybody else in the UK. Um, but at that time, their ABL shop was you know, really uh, really doing good things. It was it was very flexible. It was uh, writing good business and it was a good place to be. In 2015, uh, I received a business plan from John Onslow uh, and his plan was to buy a small ticket uh, AR business that he'd found uh, and he was going to use it as a platform to build the new ABL shop. So I received the business plan thinking that I was going to provide the, uh, the back-to-back funding for it uh, which we did at RBS, but but ultimately I was part of that transaction. I joined uh, I joined IGF in two thousand sixteen when that transaction happened. Yeah, and you mentioned
0: that you're somewhat of a founder of the quote second phase of IGF. Can you tell me what that means and who IGF is uh, for those who might not know?
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, IGF was uh, founded in nineteen ninety seven, and originally it was supported by. Um, a London-based public sector investment vehicle, and it was focused really on providing working capital to businesses in in, in London and the surrounding area. That was the original plan. Um, And it kind of expanded beyond that. Um, And for periods, it grew grew a bit. It took on business elsewhere in the UK. Um, But over its latter years, running up to 2016, I think the shareholder had really struggled to understand what to do with it. And, it, and it really got to the stage that it needed a new owner. It probably wasn't uh, any longer achieving the objectives that they had for it. Um, and if you go back to the, the period in my, in my uh, formative years, John Onslow had left GE in two thousand seven, and he'd set up a business called Centric Commercial Finance uh, in two thousand seven, right at the heat of the financial crisis. And that business has performed really well. And what I'm, what happened with, with that is it kind of proved a case for having an independent PE owned uh, lender that l- looks and behaves a lot more like its clients than it maybe does to the to the wider banking uh, market. It's, a, it's an interesting point. And Centric was really successful. And in 2014, it got bought by one of the UK challenger banks. Um, and, and John took that opportunity to retire. Uh, and he retired for about 10 minutes before he got bored and started to think about the new project. And, uh, through connections that he had, he became aware that IGF might, might be available for sale. And, and we pursued it from there. You know, and IGF was a great fit given his experience, uh, before with Centric, but really with you know, our, our shared experiences as, as running a, running a, a, an ABL team. So, um, uh, it already the advantage with IGF for us long established business, good reputation in the market with the advisors, um, and uh, already had its own uh, admin systems, IT systems, offices, and, and and whatnot, all the things you need to make it work. And also it had revenues coming in, which was good good fuel in our fire to uh, to go and build the ABL team as quickly as we wanted to, and. Um, on the ABL side of the business, so since 2016, uh, you won't be surprised that s- several of the senior hires have been people we've worked with before. That's, I think, predictable. Um, but we've also worked hard to bring in new blood into the sector. That we've we brought in uh, a number of you know, particularly young people who are uh, just finding their way in the ABL world, and that's that's really uh, that's really um, rewarding to do. From 2016. Um, IGF was focused on being a disruptor. We're a specialist finance company. We were originally focused on, on, in the UK, we we talk about the SME world. We were focused on the S part of that, the small ticket uh, market. Um, And we've gradually moved into the M part of of that, which we envisage, envision would would correspond to the the lower mid-market in the US. And for us, that's businesses with annual revenues of probably around uh, up to 150 million pounds sterling, and we provide facilities to those businesses of up to 25 million pounds uh, on our own uh, on our own books. Um, we try not to be too uh, regimented or too tied to those limits. It's uh, uh, it's just part, part of our, our nature that we like to, to to push the boundaries of these things. But our business really is focused on on. Uh, clients that are financially viable I guess that financial viability forms at least 51 percent of a credit decision we make uh, so uh, once we've established that the, the business is, is viable um, the things that we do we lend against uh, AR we lend against inventory machinery and equipment and real estate and we'll also consider providing a cash flow strip when the circumstances are right Uh, We like transactions, change of ownership events, all the kind of things that that maybe steer uh, prospective business our way away from the the mainstreams. And we're generally comfortable with those kind of activities where you kind of recognise that the time is right for the existing shareholders to get some money out, maybe to to, to get some rewards for their their hard work. And the opportunity, I guess, in that is is that... the, the Phrases such as MBO and MBI and cash out seem to be taboo for some of the mainstream market who really just want to maximize security and minimize lending, it seems. So we we look at those as an opportunity and take the view of why not? Let's have a look at this and see what we can do.
0: What can you tell me about the strengths of the company and what's unique about your approach?
1: Yeah, I guess all, all of the above. and uh, but, but the question is, why why do people choose to um, work with IGF? Um, I think we, we're very good at understanding our client businesses and we, we get the kind of reverse compliment that we ask lots of questions at the beginning. Hopefully that means that we ask fewer questions as we go on. Uh, we get our decision makers involved in the process very early. I've talked about John Onslow, but but, but equally, our yeah. A head of underwriting and head of credit will, will be involved in conversations and meet, meet with prospects really early in our relationship. And it puts people at ease and they, they, you know, they, they start to understand that you're, you're, you're genuinely able to work with them as a partner and, and that they have access to the people who uh, will, will, you know, will influence the way their business performs. So I, I think that they, those kind of things, and just really just having a, an attitude of trying to resolve challenges and, find the right ways of doing uh, the, the, the structuring facilities rather than just providing them with products that come from the box.
0: Great and so now I kind of want to talk about the more recent past um, and one thing that all lenders and finance providers have had to deal with in the last couple of years is obviously the COVID-19 pandemic. How did IGF deal with uh, the hit taken by most lenders during the first year of the pandemic? So you know March 2020 to maybe spring of last year?
1: Yeah, uh, it's a, that's a really interesting question. And I found it quite hard to, to, to answer that insofar as I think um, we've actually got away with it so far remarkably well. Uh, I, I was thinking about what I was doing in March 20 and taking a holiday in the Caribbean. It turned out to be a short holiday. I came back pretty quickly when I realised what was happening. But I think that we were in some um state of, uh, of of denial that things were going to impact us the way they were impacting other places i'm sure that that shared with the us but it, you know we were we were some way behind um the european markets uh, and w- one of the things that's astonished us really has been how resilient our portfolio has been uh, which is great it's good it's a good place to be um when we saw what we're going to have to do and the, the UK government um, started to shut down the economy, we were pretty alarmed, as you can imagine. But um, I don't think we panicked. Uh, I think we, we took time to think about what we could do. Um, we proactively uh, extended um, funding periods on the AR side. We, we gave people repayment holidays on on term facilities, kind of whether they needed it or not, to try and assure them that we were thinking about them, uh, had their backs as well as uh, as worrying about our own position. Uh, I have to say that that whatever your politics, I think most people would agree that the the UK government interventions were were pretty quick um, uh, and and quite well targeted and that put cash into the economy so that perversely having anticipated a kind of run on the bank, we actually saw utilisation rates um, fall significantly, and I think that the the UK, the old guys in the UK um, ABL and AR market would normally expect to see fifty to fifty five percent drawn against the gross value of debtors for most of their clients, and it fell to thirty percent for us, mid thirty percent. So um, cash continued to flow, uh, you know, volumes reduced, and, but but it felt much more like a managed slowdown than. Uh, uh, than, than an absolute hard stop. Um during during that, I mean, that kind of talks it away to the to the portfolio side of the business, but pretty early on, we decided that we would we would not close our doors to new business, that we'd continue to look for the opportunities. And I think that go back to the formation of centric that I mentioned to you. John had experience of running a business through financial stress and abl historically has proven to work very well in those situations and if you if you're an, a pe backed abl specialist that's all you do we don't have any other income streams in our business you kind of want to keep doing that you don't want to miss the opportunity that comes along and you know we we, we, we we're pleased we've done that um, and we did the other thing we did um was was we took on the uh, the government uh, support schemes
0: great and then how did you perform then from there You know, the 2021 was a Obviously, different year. Uh, Well, obviously, Um, but beyond just it being the you know different number at the end of it, there were different challenges you had to deal with. Uh, How did IGF deal with those, and what do you think was the secret to your success there?
1: (laughs) So I wish I knew the secret to the success. I go and say um, the the March 21 has been a was a really good year. It's a really successful year. We kind of fell back for the first time in our in our second phase of existence during 2020, and we finished the year on more or less the same funds out, despite all of our hard efforts of uh, winning new business. But um, 2021 really felt like we started quickly in, in, in the January. We were still having lockdown periods in the UK, um, but we, we we grew. We were taking on business. We all learned to operate in a new environment. We, we learned to do Field appraisals without being in the field. We we took on business that we'd never physically met met the uh, the leaders of those businesses, and I guess that you just got used to that being the new normal. Uh, and and I'd, I'd be interested to see how it pans out. But I think that we've done a good job of that. Um, and we took on uh, we took on probably um, forty five. We grew our book by forty five percent. A combination of increased utilization um, and, and and lots of new business. We closed. 30 deals during the year Uh, we wrote quite significant new lines we wrote bigger deals than we'd ever done before and um, we we, we made the most of those opportunities that we had expected or hoped would exist and one of the features of that I think has been that we've had an opportunity to work with um, corporates that we maybe wouldn't normally have got to see Um, those businesses that have got to refinance that have you know, need to move on that have you know got got new opportunity to pursue um, that just weren't getting um, serviced by the uh, the mainstream lenders and they were really keen to talk to people who would deliver and you know, get them going and I'm not thinking that we will necessarily keep all of those for forever some of them will return to more traditional, Debt finance um, structures, maybe in the future, but hopefully along the way they'll have they'll have realised and learned that um, that ABL can be part of um, their their financing going forward. So that's uh, that's good. I, I, I guess that the the conclusion to all of that really is that I don't think we really did anything different through twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one than than we ordinarily do. It's one of those things where you're core skills really come into their own if you've got them right. If you if you understand what you're doing, the risks that you're taking and, and why you're taking them, I think you, you move carefully, but keep moving forward. Great, and uh, one of the reasons I was excited
0: to have you on the show is to look at uh, ABL from the perspective of the UK market. Uh, ABF Journal, we're based in the US, so we're a little more familiar there. What can you tell us about the ABL environment in the UK? Whether it be the size of the market, the most important players in it.
1: Yeah, it's, I, I get that, and I you know I'm a, I'm an enthusiastic reader of the uh, of the ABF Journal. Um, as as a, several of my UK peers and and, and competitors and, and colleagues, um, I, I think that you the the US listener will be fairly familiar with the you would be fairly familiar with the UK market when they look at it. I think it's. It's similar, it, it performs in a similar way, and it's probably uh, segmented it's in somewhat similar ways. Um, I, we'll talk about the differences as, as we go, go through, but you know, the, the principles of, of, of ABL are copied from the US providers, and that's, uh, so it's not surprising that we look, we look the same. But of course, we're talking about a market which is much smaller if you think that very roughly the whole European market is the same size as the North American market, the UK is a a small piece of that. Um, And I'm guessing that uh, our market information is that we've probably got um, somewhere around about 35,000 clients uh, of uh, using facilities that are either Invoice Finance um, or, or ABL, and the advances on those are probably about 16 and a half billion, or what are we talking, $20 billion. So that's quite small in comparison to what you guys do. And it probably means that the, the spread of size of customers is similarly small. So that's that, that's fine, but it can be quite lucrative. Um, interestingly, of that, of that 16 and a half billion sterling, around 24, 25 percent of those advances are into a proper ABL products um, or facilities. So I guess that the, the ABL facilities will almost certainly be larger than the, uh, the smaller ticket invoice finance facilities. So it's probably more than uh, less than 25% of the, the borrowers are in using ABL, but but, but it's a, you know, that's what it's at. Um so the the UK market, the UK market as a whole is probably more homogenized because we're a smaller market our big banks are much more dominant perhaps than 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 you'd be used to we don't have nearly as many regional banks and the 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 four largest uk banks rbs natwest um, hsbc lloyds and barclays uh, have full national coverage and, and they historically probably provided 80% of the uh, of the AR and ABL that's, that's into the, into the UK, um, and rather lazily and somewhat inaccurately, we probably talked about the rest as being the independents that those normal people not assigned aligned to those four clearers have been known as the independents. So historically you've got people like PNC and Wells Fargo and, and GE back in the day who would, who were described as independents, which maybe you wouldn't, wouldn't think they're, they're tr- truly an independent, um uh, uh, alternative lender uh, provider. But I think since certainly since um, the, the 2007, 2008, the, the market's become more nuanced. Um, we've had a growing raft of challenger banks. I talked about um, one of the challenger banks that bought, bought Centric. Um, and, you know, it's a really diverse range of people doing um, little variations of, of, of what they do to try and find a, find a niche. For themselves, the the connections with the U.S. market really go back a long way. And although in my world I don't see them active, uh, I don't see them very much at all. You know, Bank of America has been in the U.K. and and J.P. Morgan plays in the U.K. At the top end of our uh, traditional ABL piece, guess that Wells Fargo and PNC uh, operate very successfully. They they they're well known. Um, and then there's a, there's a whole group of people who, who fill that mid-market, um, that mid-market piece. Um, and I thought that it might be interesting to, to look at some of the things that, that uh, 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 would, would interest you readers. I think that you know, because the scale is slightly smaller, probably the overall holds are slightly smaller. I, I've certainly seen um, uh, information about uh, uh, one of our competitors holding 150 million uh, sterling uh, on their own, but most are probably less than $100 million, uh, going going forward. Um, what else can I tell you? I think that the, uh, we, we don't operate in a, in a regulated environment in the UK, um, but we do have close connections to um, uh, an organisation called UK Finance, which is, um, uh, comprises about 300 of the banks and the, and the lenders, and, and, and operates in an our arbitration system and uh, complaints procedure and all the things that you'd kind of expect with a, with a regulated environment to try and make sure that our, our borrowers are confident in the way that we operate. you know that, that organization um, uh, offers uh, training programs and stuff to make sure that it's a it's a properly governed sector uh, over here.
0: And against that backdrop, where do you think there are the most opportunities in the UK ABL market?
1: Yeah, again, I think that probably more similarities with any ABL market um, than than differences. And what what do I mean by that? I think that for the last 30 years, I've been in an environment where we've been trying to convert uh, borrowers and advisors one by one that that ABL represents. a good alternative to the mainstream lenders, and, and continues, it's, uh, it's probably going to continue forever. Uh, so you know, we, we, need to keep, um, we need to keep providing um, an alternative where the borrower really gets a facility that, that matches their needs, competitively priced and, and generates high levels of liquidity. Um, so they're, they're, the, they're the main opportunities um, uh, across the board. So if you drill down into those things, I think that there's um, still a lot of work to do with um, stakeholders uh, in the form of uh, sponsors. Um, We we, we work with a a number of um, private equity um, owners of businesses, probably 35% of our portfolio, which is about close to 200 clients, uh, are are PE owned. Um, In the last 12, 24 months, we've seen... A growth in the number of businesses that are owned or controlled by debt funds rather than PE and that's probably a reflection of uh, events that have gone on around us uh, and, and what ABL can do or should do is to provide those stakeholders with something that, that makes sense for them that, that you know reflects where we sit in the debt stack and isn't onerous in terms of covenants and, and has flexibility around uh, uh security and, and documentation so um you know there are opportunities that, that continue to exist and you know abl is has always been um nimble and, and willing to uh, work with, with new 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 players and as the as the market evolves you know we just need to keep doing the things that we've doing doing we've been doing to 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 convert people to to see the the, the value of abl and uh, you know I think there's, that there are probably two ways of seeing the growth or seeing where the growth um, opportunity comes from. And I know that um, uh, some of my uh, peers would say that the, the answer is to be clearer about what you do and what kind of credits you're looking for, what size of facilities you're willing to do uh, and which sectors you're prepared to support. I, I would say that there's an equal opportunity to stretch... The things you do, and try and find ways of applying A- ABL structures to businesses that wouldn't historically have been in that 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 um, line of fire. That you can uh, you can stretch it and do different things um, for people that you maybe hadn't thought about before.
0: Yeah, and then with those opportunities there and you've given a good outline of what the UK market looks like has it changed at all over the years um has it you know does it look different now than it did maybe 30 years ago
1: yeah uh, a little maybe 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 not as much as one would one would hope um and it's obviously continuing to to, to grow the, the, i mean the background going back to the, the, the points, some of the points we've talked about a little bit before is that the, the, the background really started in the, in the 90s in the U, UK and I'm sure it started earlier than that in the US um, and it was driven by owners like like Heller and uh, uh, there was a guy called Dennis Lockhart who was at Heller and was massively enthusiastic about growing the UK into a you know, proper ABL in the same way that you guys have been used to uh, and, and players like Lloyds um, Lloyds was run by a guy called Ted Eftashank who uh, really drove um uh, his his business into lending against uh, other assets and you know, over the last 30 30 years then um the us influence has has um continued but we've taken it on and uh, and 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 made it our own i guess reflecting the fact that we we can do some of the things that you guys can do we have a slightly different uh, uh insolvency code for instance means that we, we we probably do don't do some of the things that you do we'll talk about that a little bit um but uh um the the really i think that the the other area is just not not the practitioners in the abl world but the people around it and if i look at the journal it uh, it's got you know carries adverts from uh from lawyers and from appraisers and what have you but we we've also been developing with the debt advisory community and bringing those guys along and making them recognize that, that ABIL is a, is, a, is a good solution to some of the challenges that they have. Uh, and, and, and so that's, that's, um, that's help for sure. But um, I think that there are probably more similarities that, um, with where we were 20, 30 years ago. It's just just a, it's a continual evolution rather than a revolution.
0: Great, thanks for that. You know, rundown of, of what the UK market looks like and how it's changed and, and all that. Um, I know you mentioned that you know the bigger banks being a more dominant player there, um, but I know that the legal structure is another thing that makes the UK uh, ABL market a little differently. Can you tell me about uh, those differences and specifically what it means when it comes to getting value out of inventory?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, I think the, one of the most obvious differences between the two, the US and the UK market is how little. Um, retail uh, forms part of the UK market. And predominantly that's, or primarily that's because of um, the challenges that we have lending against inventory. And I, I'm not a lawyer and I'm uh, I'm very aware that there are lots of people will construct um, facilities and, and make things work. I, I get that. And, and there are two or three people who have made good careers out of lending against um, reasonable inventory in particular. But the two main challenges uh, against lending uh, on inventory in the UK are uh, retention of title and the preferential ranking of, of creditors. So the retention of title, I think, is a phrase that does exist, but in my experience, it doesn't apply quite so vigorously in the States as it does in the UK. Um, but if you're a UK lender, you have to assume that in an insolvency, uh, the inventory that you sits with your borrower, uh, which hasn't been paid for, um, will still legally belong to the guy that sold it to your borrower. So they're going to want it back. Um, the moment the supplier hears that your borrower has gone into a, a form of insolvency or appointed an administrator, they're going to look to lodge their claim and mark the, uh, the goods in the, in the warehouse to, to make sure they're not sold. So if you work in an environment where your borrower is dependent on cre- trade credit, um, from his suppliers and then sells those goods on in a form where the supplier would still recognize them. you've got to hold a fairly big uh, reserve to cover that. Uh, so the thing that um, the thing that makes uh, uh, the, the retention of title uh, not universal is that if you buy goods into your uh, your borrower buys goods in, their suppliers and then changes the nature of them or changes them to the extent that they wouldn't be recognised like they're a manufacturer or whatever, the finished goods that they produce may not be um, may, may not be affected by retention of title. So it can still work. You've got over that hurdle of retention of title issue. The second challenge is around the preferential ranking of the um, tax authorities, the HMRC, um, the revenue uh, um, team in the U- UK, um, and they've gone back to a position since since the beginning of last year, 2021, um, where their um, charge ranks ahead of any other secured creditor um, on the inventory. So, if you have a a borrower that, that has any amounts owing to against the sales tax or against the employee taxes then those amounts will need to be settled to the, uh, to the tax authorities before you as a secured creditor get paid out. And you know, that's, that's potentially a scary place to be. Um, and and the, you know, my description of those two issues is, is pretty simplified, but, but they're, they're, they're where we start from. It's not to say that you can't lend against inventory, but you probably need to take a pragmatic view uh, of these two issues in particular. So if you're lending to a business that's highly seasonal, where you know that their risk period, uh, their, their seasonal risk period is, is after their sales period, then you maybe don't feel so bad about financing their inventory and the, and the running up of, um, of, of taxes, where, where you know that they've got um, established uh, routes to sale and, and that the, the goods are sold you might be fine with that or you you may have less of a concern about retention of the title of your manufacturers uh, making goods that you're financing as finished goods and those things and uh, you know they're, they're, those are those are the workarounds um, but but when you add those together you probably mean it probably means that we generate something in the range of 30 to 50 percent of the cost of inventory versus what you guys might might um raise uh, I don't know 80 85 percent something more aligned to um, receivables so it doesn't work so well for the borrowers it doesn't work so well for us and and I think that they're, they're, they're things that, that that certainly mean that we don't do as much inventory lending as you'd expect in the states
0: uh, great John well for lenders um, from other areas perhaps those in the. US, um, how might they benefit from working with a specialist lender like IGF if they're looking to, you know, make, make some moves within the UK market?
1: Uh, uh, this is, this, this is why I'm here, right? And this is uh, <laughs> uh, what, what's my pitch. I uh, I think that the, um, I hope that the, the, this, the thread of the conversation has been that to highlight the similarities uh, and the, the capability to some extent, the flexibility around, the UK market and that talks to other people, not just IGF. But we're, we're interested in, in understanding how we could try and develop uh, the opportunities that do exist. We have clients that have US subsidiaries, and to go back to my time at GE. Uh, we, we may have a business, a client that is in the manufacturing sector or the services sector, and in the UK they're borrowing, they're, they're a mid market company, they're borrowing maybe 10 million sterling from us. And because they're doing well, they want to go and open an office in New York or they want to open a factory somewhere. And they turn to us and say, right, well, you know, can you help us? We need a million dollars of working capital in that territory. How do we go about it? And even in my time at GE, which was properly a, a multi jurisdiction business, we couldn't do it because it didn't really fit the criteria of the guys in the corporate lending team in the States. So I think that. What I see from the participants in the conversations from the, from the uh, Secured Finance Network and from uh, you know, the, the participants in the ABF Journal is that people like us exist in the, in the US and you know, we, we could do more to work together you know, to try and provide a, a more holistic uh, range of facilities for your clients and for our clients. And it, I'm not saying it's super easy. It's, it's, probably, it's probably some work, uh, and it probably needs some thinking about how you, you you make make that make that work. But if we could do 10, 15 uh, uh, new opportunities in a year, I think that that would be that would be fantastic for IGF. And I, I'd like to think that somebody in the US would be benefiting from those things as well. So uh, you know, we, we 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 see the opportunity um, both ways. It's really a, a two-way flow where somebody like igf would be a great correspondent um, for a lender in the lower mid market uh, of the states where you know maybe it's a maybe it's a pe house who who finds opportunities to bolt on uh, a uk piece to to one of their existing investments and how do they go about that you know, they sure they can talk to their advisors and that's that's a good place to start um, but they really what they want to end up with is a relationship with another lender who behaves like they do, who who, who um, looks after their interests in the way that they would like them to be looked after and, you know, is open-minded um, and, you know, val- values the introduction of that that client and, and treats them like their own. So we, we can do that for people uh, uh, in the States and, and we would love to try and improve uh, uh, connections in the U.S. with people who could do the same for us. And, the, the challenges around that, Phil, are, are really, some of them can be solved quite simply. Um, some of them, I'm sure, will be more difficult. We we find that the main um, conversation is around the security and making sure that, um, you know, one bank doesn't have more security or more a uh, disproportionate control over an entity than the other. And it's much easier to do that if you have a direct conversation and maybe end up with a tripartite. Uh, agreement with you the, the us the uk bank and the, and the borrower then if you try and do it two things independently so you know th- those kind of things making sure that the the documentation allows uh, you know the, the, the larger party to uh, have cure periods to, to to work with the lender to straighten things out so if they're not going to plan and they're, they're not um, they're not ultimately vulnerable by a kind of a rogue. rogue lender in in the other in the other territory but but the the best thing best outcome really is that if you can do this for your client you know you 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 get you end up with one sticky client that that really loves what you do uh, and and you know works with you for for a longer period and you benefit from all the growth that you've helped to achieve so those those things are um they're the end outcomes we'd like to see and i think that this opportunity to talk to you hopefully will um, sit in somebody's mind and when they next get an opportunity when they're doing a portfolio review to think hey who are those guys in the UK that could help us out with this one that uh, they'll reach out or that they'll reach out to us and say um, you know we, we, we would be happy to try and provide um, comparable facilities to your lower mid-market UK companies when they come and open an office in the US. Great. Well, John, I think
0: that's a great place to leave it. Uh, thank you so much for jumping on today and sharing all your insights and, you know, all, all your, your thoughts uh, today. I know, I know we, were, we ran for, for quite a while. So thank you for, for sticking with me the whole time.
1: Phil, thank you. Thank you for uh, your patience. Much appreciated. Uh, no problem at all.
0: Thanks again to John for joining the show and thank you for listening. By the time this episode is live our q1 issue should either be in your mailbox or on its way with the digital issue going live around the end of the month this year's q1 issue focused on diversity equity and inclusion and features articles on avoiding tokenism creating work environments that respect all gender identities and more the issue also included our second annual feature on women in asset-based lending so make sure to keep a lookout if you haven't received your copy just yet that will do it for this episode Thanks again for listening to the ABF Journal podcast. We'll talk again soon.